Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's great to see all of you, and uh, I'm glad, thankful for a church that's got a heater that works. Nice, cool morning today. I uh, and I just finished last week. We finished our, our Roman series, and so we're going to do two weeks in a row where we talk about the arrival of Jesus. Now, as a child, uh, if you were like me, you were someone where it felt like Christmas was never going to come. And now that I'm an adult, uh, it feels like Christmas is gets here like that. Before you know it, it's like, oh man, it's already Christmas Day. When I was a kid, maybe it's because of ABC Family's 25 Days of Christmas. Maybe it's because of, uh, I don't know, uh, school getting out, but there's this feeling of, man, when is that day ever gonna come? Waiting for Christmas Day to arrive. And how many of you were like me where on Christmas Eve, you weren't able to fall asleep? Anybody like me? Yeah, Colton's raising his hand. I could not sleep. I remember, I have vivid memories of being at my mom's parents' house in Midland and being in, you know, because I was uh, the youngest, being in like basically the office. You know, everybody else has a bedroom or, a, you know, and you're in the office and there's all the stuffed animals in, in the office. You know, like, we got a deer here. And I remember my granddad had on a jar a rattlesnake head on a jar. So anyway, I'm, just, I'm laying here, you know, uh, trying to go to sleep, but it's more, mostly because I'm waiting. I cannot wait to see if, if everything that I'm hoping about the next day is going to come to pass. And for others, um, I know that Christmas, and I've, I've been talking with different people about this recently, and even you, you heard uh, Ronnie mention it in his prayer. For others, Christmas is a season of waiting, but a kind of a different kind of waiting. There can often be a real sense of, you know, I was, I was here last year, and things were going to get better by next Christmas. This was going to be resolved, or this thing that I'm waiting on, I, I hope that it's going to be better next year round. And once again, you're here, it's December, and you're looking at your life, you're looking at your personal situation, or something going on with your family, and you're just like, I'm still waiting. I'm still here, hoping that this would be better. Waiting for restoration of something, reconciliation, waiting for hope. And as the year comes to an end, once again, you find yourself feeling a little bit empty or a little bit broken or, or unfulfilled. And this concept of waiting, it's something that all of us, whether it's something small like waiting for presents or whether it's something like waiting to find out about a job or waiting to find out about um, the results of something, we all have experienced this feeling of waiting for something for our whole life, and we see it all over our scripture. Psalm 13, I think, summarizes it really well. I would say Psalm 13 is a place that my mind immediately goes to when, when someone is sitting there thinking, when one of you is going, God, I feel like, I don't know why, but I feel like you're ignoring me. I feel like you're not answering me. And you think, well, I don't know if I'm allowed to think that to God. Psalm 13 is... You should use these words and memorize these because it will speak for you. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And we see that this, 
this message is a theme throughout Scripture. And I'm going to list out to you a few examples of people who are waiting on God, maybe waiting for promises or just waiting for God to feel like God is giving them any kind of attention and remembering them. We have Abraham and Sarah. And God comes and He says, I am going to make a covenant promise to you that your people, your children will be like the stars in the sky. Go look at the, the sand on the, on the ground. You're going to have more children than that. And Abraham and Sarah are sitting here in their old age going, is that ever going to happen? They're waiting. And sometimes, often, they're not waiting very well. They're taking matters in their own hands. But they're waiting on God to keep His end of the deal. The people of Israel... The people of Israel are stuck in, in slavery in Egypt, and they're waiting. They're looking around going, how long, God? Are you going to forget us forever while we're here in slavery? What's going to happen? We have a story of one of my favorite stories in Scripture. This woman named Naomi, and her family basically goes through uh, bankruptcy, total loss. And so they decide, you know what? We've got to migrate to Moab, to this country that nobody likes. We've got to go there. They migrate to Moab because there maybe we can save our family. And her husband dies, her two sons die, and she tells her daughters-in-law, listen, if you want to go back to your Moabite families, you can. Don't stick with me. I'm a, I'm a sinking ship. And one of her daughters-in-law, Ruth, says, I'm going to stick with you. And she says, okay, you can, but just trust me, like God's forgotten about me. And then we have the story of a woman named Hannah who every year is reminded of the successes of her, her rival, and every year she goes to the temple to God and, and she prays out and cries out to God, how long, God, are you going to forget me? And this, this doesn't always happen in Scripture, but it's something that's very interesting, and it happens with all four of these illustrations I gave you, is that there's a theme of waiting for God's promises and that His response to those promises looks like the birth of a child. For Abraham and Sarah, it's the birth of Isaac. For the people of Israel, it's the birth of a baby that his mother, to save him, puts him in a basket in the Nile River. And whenever the princess of Egypt finds him, one of the princesses, she pulls him out of the water and she names him Moses because Moses means drawn out of the water. Which also, nerd timeout, really cool note. Moses is symbolic not just because he was drawn out of the Nile, which is what the word Moses means, but also because the people of Israel were drawn out of slavery in Egypt. Moses. Come on, y'all. The Bible is cool, okay? So... Then we have Naomi, and Naomi who thinks God has forgotten about me, my family is over. Her family name is remembered and continues on because of God's work through Ruth and Boaz, and they're able to have a son named Obed, the birth of a child. And then with Hannah, the promise comes to fulfillment with the birth of a child named Samuel. So with all of that in mind, with this theme of waiting on God's promises, of God answering the promises with the birth of a child, let's turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, or you can follow along on the screen. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. She's doing the math in her head. She's like, I don't think this is how it works, God. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I've never noticed this before, but I've always noticed the Holy Spirit part. But I've never noticed that it says the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of God himself will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be, be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. One of the things I want to say real quick at this part is if I were, having, if I were a movie director and I was directing this scene right here, I really wonder how exactly, what kind of stage direction would I give Mary here? Because don't forget, Mary's 14 years old probably right now, maybe 12. Maybe she's at the oldest, maybe she's like 16. And she's sitting here, and God has told her all these things. And he says, you know, he, he says this to her, and then her response is, does she pause there? Does she walk around the room and pace around, like grabbing her forehead and, you know, thinking about it? Does she say, can you give me two seconds? You know, we, we don't get from Luke what kind of response she has. We're just told she says this. Does she say it with confidence? Does she say, I am the Lord's servant? Or does she say under her breath, just almost in awe, like, okay, uh, I'm the Lord's servant. We don't know, but uh, I'd like for you to think about that because I think it says a lot. Uh, I think it would be an interesting exercise for you. Continuing on in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. I don't know why it doesn't say leapt. Isn't that the right way to say that? But I don't know. It's been bothering me this whole time. Uh, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored? And this line is great. Not that the mother of my nephew, that the mother of my teacher, that the mother of this important person, that the mother of my Lord should come to me. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then we get the Magnificat, which in Latin just means my soul glorifies the Lord or my soul magnifies the Lord. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Oh, I got my pages backwards. Or page number three is on the pew. Um, let me read along. Or let me get this. Okay. We're back. Um, holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as He promised our ancestors. 
Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then returned home. Okay, so uh, I've said this before, and uh, I think it's worth repeating, that often something that I grew up, I don't know, I don't think anyone ever told me this, but this was something I grew up thinking, is that if you're the preacher, you need to find a way that every sermon you're telling the people something different that they've never heard before. Something that's going to blow their minds. Like, whoa, I didn't know that. Like, like I, I mean, I kind of showed my hand a little bit ago talking about Moses being drawn out, okay? But one of the things that I have to remember every time I preach around Christmas or Easter or Thanksgiving where one of the things that we do, how many of you watch Christmas movies? Anybody a Christmas movie person? One of the best ones is It's a Wonderful Life, okay? The reason why I watch It's a Wonderful Life is not because I'm waiting to be surprised by a new ending. <gasps> oh, let's see what they're going to do this time. Uh, now, I will say, some of you maybe uh, don't really remember the movies that great, and so it feels like you're watching it for the first time every time you see the movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I know for a fact I had an elder at my last church where we like watched that movie, and someone was like, Hey, uh, you know, you want to go see this movie? He's like, sure. I, you know, I haven't seen it. And I was like, we literally saw that movie like 10 days ago. <laughs> but for me, I know that the reason why I watch those movies isn't because I'm wanting to hear something new. It's because I'm wanting to be reminded of something that I know is true. There's something that I feel whenever that resolution to that movie happens where your heart you feel all those things and you're like, that's why I want to put the, well, I almost said, that's why I want to put the DVD disc in the DVD player again, even though very few of us use DVD players anymore. It's because you want to be reminded, like, that is that feeling that I have. And that, this is what I have to remind myself today, is that something you hear today might not be new at all, but we're going to be reminded of that feeling that we want to feel this time of year. And that feeling that we have is this idea that, that whenever God says, you've been waiting for something, and I'm going to fulfill your waiting, and it's going to come in the form of a baby, and the ultimate example of that is it coming in the form of Jesus. And Luke, Luke tells us in the very beginning of chapter 1, he gives us a clue of why he's writing this letter. We have the idea that Theophilus, who he talks about, um, his, which Theophilus at the beginning of Luke, he says, I'm writing this account to you, Theophilus. It probably means that Theophilus is a really wealthy guy, who has heard about Jesus, knows about Jesus, and wants to know, I want to hear the story of, of Jesus. I will pay you, Luke, to go and do your research and write an account of the gospel. And so Luke is setting out to write this. And the reason why he's writing it, he gives us a clue in the very first line. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So Luke shows us that the why of writing this account, the reason he's doing this, is he is letting us, he is setting out to show us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the long covenant story of God and Israel from the beginning and the whole world. Okay, let me say that again. Jesus is the fulfillment of the long-weighted covenant promise to God, between God and Israel, and between God and the whole world. John has the same goal. John wants to point out, too, that Jesus is the fulfillment from the beginning. But why does, what does he start out with? He doesn't start out with a birth story. He starts out with, 
in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's trying to show the exact same thing, that this fulfillment has happened in Christ. But Luke is showing that this fulfillment has happened through the birth of a child. And I think it's really cool if you look back at what we read. I tried to highlight it in yellow. But Mary, her response to God is, May your word be fulfilled to me. And then Elizabeth says to Mary, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Luke is leaving us all the clues we need to know this is the point. This birth is the fulfillment of these promises. So the question that I asked at the beginning, How long, O Lord, are you going to make me wait? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And the answer comes in one of our favorite Christmas hymns. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. No word from the Lord will ever fail. 2 Corinthians 1 has a line, For all the promises of God, all the things you've been waiting for God, are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And so you're probably sitting there wondering, you're probably wondering, okay, Drew, I love it. I, I, I agree with you. I'm so thankful for Christmas that it is the reminder that in the arrival of this child, God with us, Emmanuel, God in flesh, that the waiting is over, that the hopes and fears are met in thee tonight. But why does it feel like I'm still waiting? That happened in the past, right, Drew? And yet here I am in 2022, almost 2023, and I'm still sitting here with feelings of waiting for a resolution, for reconciliation, for redemption, for restoration. I feel like I'm still waiting here. And here are the few things that I think are important to say. One, I want to use an illustration from our Revelation class uh, that we've been doing the past few months. You know that in Revelation it's talking about the cosmic battle that's been going on between God's people and God and the powers of this dark world. And one of the things he describes is that the enemy, the beast, it has a mortal womb, that a mortal wound that doesn't look like it's dead, but we know it's dead. It is on life support, right? And that's the thing that I want to say to you is that I believe the same thing is true of our waiting. Yes, our waiting looks just as strong as ever. Our things that are breaking us and, and hurting our lives, they look just as fierce as they always have. But we know that at Christmas and at the crucifixion and at the resurrection, they received their mortal womb and the waiting will not last forever. Okay? We know that to be true. I love the song by Michael W. Smith called All Is Well. And I, I think to myself, sometimes we sing that and there are people probably who feel that, who are like, all isn't well, God. Don't you see what I've got going on in my life? Don't you see all this pain that I'm going through? All is not well. And I think the reminder is, is that we sing these Christmas songs. We proclaim the message of hope and joy and peace, not because our circumstances are hopeful, joyful, and peaceful, but because we know that with the arrival of Christ, our waiting has received its mortal wound and that all, all, mortal wound and all is well. Christmas isn't joyous because we are happy. It is joyous because our waiting doesn't have the last word. Another reminder of what Gabriel says, no word from the Lord will fail. And so I want to encourage you that this is the last kind of invitation I have for you today. I love the line that Elizabeth says to Mary, and I think it's something that Luke is saying to all of us. Luke is telling us something. He's saying, blessed are those. He says, Elizabeth says to Mary, blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. But I believe the message is for all of us. Blessed are you who believe that God will fulfill his promises, that your waiting is not in vain. 
And so one of the practical ways we can do this, I've done this at a retreat before, and you may think this sounds cliche or cheesy. I promise you it's, it's wonderful. But something that we can do is we can look at something in our life that feels broken, that feels unanswered, that feels like we're waiting for it to be resolved, for God to bring redemption and restoration. And then find a scripture that you think of that is an answer of God's word that's not going to fail to that waiting that you have, that's going to come and re- resolve and redeem that. I-, I came up with an example for you. If you're in a season of intense depression and you keep thinking, you know what, next Christmas I'm not going to be depressed anymore. I'm going to shake this by next year. And here you are again, still in depression. Okay, Write that out. Write those very words. Still feeling intense depression. Don't know why I feel so empty, what I'm missing. Okay? Under it, and by the way, if you can't think of a Bible verse that's a response to that, call me, okay? Call one of us, and we'll help you think of some Bible verses. John 16, 33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That word from the Lord is not going to fail. And try and speak it over your waiting. And yes, I wish that the waiting was over right now. I wish that you didn't have to still feel like that. But what I'm telling you is that your waiting has received the mortal wound. It does not have the last word. So the message for us today, which is hopefully something that you have been reminded is true. When Christ came, the hopes and fears of all the years are fulfilled in him. And may we be people who believe that the waiting is over because Christ came, because God is with us. And may we know that our current brokenness that we are waiting to be fulfilled someday will be fulfilled when God makes all things new because no word from the Lord is ever going to fail. If any of you would like to talk more about something that you're waiting for, something that you feel like you're longing for God to resolve and you just need prayers, the elders are going to be standing at the doors. And if any of you would like to know more about the fact that Christ is the answer to all of our waiting at the very center of everything you're waiting for, Christ is the fulfillment of it, the center of it. If you'd like to know more about that, I'd love to talk to you now or sometime this week um, as we stand and we sing.